0: Well, tonight I want to begin a new study with you, a five-week study on understanding the last days. By almost any measure, 2020 has been an unusual year. Would you agree with that? Uh, This year has us all asking various questions. For example, the headline of the Chicago Tribune on August the 18th of this year said, Is 2020 Truly the Worst Year Ever? That was the headline in the Chicago Tribune. I don't know how you feel about that, but I feel like that's a pretty good headline. (laughs) Because it does sometimes feel like 2020 is the worst year ever. But if you read the article, they make a pretty good case that if you lived in the Great Depression, you may think one of those years were the worst year ever. Or if you lived in 1918, uh, during that pandemic, you may feel like that was the worst year ever. Still yet, everything that's happening in our world does make us at least ask that kind of question. Then there's the even bigger question that's hanging in the air, and that is, is all of this leading to the end of the world? The New York Times had an article that they published on april the second. <clears throat> now remember, this is not a religious publication, this is the New York Times. Here's what they said for many people of or for people of many faiths, and even none at all, it can feel lately like the end of the world is near. This is the New York Times. They went on to say, not only is there a plague, but hundreds of billions of locusts are swarming East Africa. Wildfires have ravaged Australia, killing an untold number of animals, and a recent earthquake in Utah even shook the Salt Lake Temple at the top of its iconic spire, causing the golden trumpet to fall from the angel Moroni's right hand. I didn't really—I know about that. I had to look that up, and there's actually a picture online of there was a big earthquake in Utah, and And on top of that spire, the angel now has dropped the the golden trumpet. Then Pastor David Jeremiah, preaching recently on the coronavirus, as asking the question, is this part of biblical prophecy? He called the pandemic, and I quote, the most apocalyptic thing that has ever happened to us. In my study, I have hanging over my desk a, a 2020 yearly planning calendar. I looked at the months of January and February as I sat there this week. I looked at the months of January and February and I thought about how things used to be. And then I looked at March, mid-March exactly. And then I looked throughout the last seven months and shook my head at how quickly things had changed in the United States and around the world. I mean, I sat there really just trying to rethink through everything that had happened and it's astonishing so much has happened so quickly and not just in the United States but in every country on our planet nearly new words have entered our vocabulary words like these COVID-19 pandemic shelter in place social distancing flattening the curve herd immunity quarantine and zoom We didn't know most of these words. We didn't use most of these words in January or February of this year. But starting in March, these words became part of our vocabulary. And of course, we're not done with this year, are we? There's still the coronavirus. There's still the problem hanging in the air. The Washington Post headline on this past Friday, Washington Post this past Friday, this was the headline. Look at this. America is poised to enter into its worst stretch yet of the pandemic. In other words, yes, this has been bad, but it's going to get worse. According to the Washington Post, CNBC headline yesterday was this. U.S. reports more than 83,000 coronavirus cases, record daily total, as experts warn of a difficult winter. Aren't you glad you came to be encouraged tonight? And then you look at all of that and you add to that the interesting developments regarding Israel. I don't know if you're keeping up with what's happening in Israel these days or with Israel. President Donald Trump announced on Friday, just a few days ago, on Friday that Sudan has agreed to make peace with Israel, making it the third Arab state to normalize ties with, as a part of a U.S. brokered deal since August. I want you to let that sink in for a moment. Three Arab states since August have established relationships with Israel. And he, Donald Trump uh, announced, I believe it was yesterday, that five more are coming. Five more Arab states are working on peace negotiations with Israel. Now, the reason Sudan is so important in that part of the world, or, or so significant, I should say, in, in regards to what we're talking about, Sudan has been a foe of Israel since, it's crea- since Israel was uh, created as a Jewish state in 1948. Since 1948, Sudan has been an enemy of Israel. And now, now they're in a working relationship, a peaceful relationship. So, you take all of those things and many more, and we ask the question, are they, re- are they pointing to the imminent return of Jesus Christ? In this Bible study series, that's the question we're going to be dealing with. In this Bible study series, we're going to open our Bibles each Sunday night and try as best we can to understand the days in which we're living from a biblical perspective. Now, I want to say, hear me very clearly what I'm about to say to you. I don't know what month or even what year that Jesus is coming back, but I do know that his coming is near. And by near, I mean what the New Testament means when it tells us multiple times that His coming is near. You see, God calls the church in every generation to live in light of His return. God calls the church in every generation to live in light of this remarkable truth that nothing now stands in the way of Jesus' return. I want you to hear that again. Nothing stands in the way of Jesus' return. Look on the screen here. These are the things, the major events, if you will, on God's calendar. All right? Think of them in that, in that term. The major events on God's calendar have been these. Of course, the incarnation, God becoming flesh, the birth of Jesus Christ, the incarnation. Then the sinless life of Jesus, that, that he lived a sinless, perfect life for, Uh, as he walked this earth and then the sacrificial death of course the cross was a significant event on God's calendar and then of course the resurrection another significant event on God's calendar and of course then the ascension where Jesus was taken back up to heaven and then Pentecost where the spirit of God was poured out on the church and the church age began and the next major movement in history in the history of the world is the second coming of Jesus Christ On God's calendar, that's the next major event in world history. His coming is the next big thing that could happen at any moment. And that's what the New Testament means when it says that His return is near. We think when we hear that His return is near, we think in terms of time. We think in terms of today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. But when the Bible speaks in terms of near, it normally is speaking in terms of events. The next thing that could happen at any time. The next thing on the calendar. The next big thing on God's calendar. His return is near. Now, this is for me where it gets very interesting. There are four different places in the New Testament where four different writers of the New Testament talk about the fact that the end is at hand, or literally, that the end has drawn near. I hope you've got something to write with tonight, to take some notes with, and I hope you've got your Bible. We're going to put some of this on the screen, and some of it I'll just be speaking about. But the first verse is found in Romans chapter 13. The first writer, of course, is the Apostle Paul, as he writes Romans 13. And this is what Paul says, The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night, watch this, the night is nearly over and the day, the day is what, church? Almost here. Almost here. The Apostle Paul is one of the four writers of the New Testament who would emphasize that his coming is near. Every day brings us another day closer, of course, to the second coming of Jesus. Now, when I was looking at this, I, I looked in my study Bible and I found an interesting study note that I want to read to you. I'm just going to quote it. It comes from my NIV study Bible. It says, these texts do not mean that early Christians believed that, <clears throat> that Jesus would return in a few years and thus were mistaken. Rather, They regarded the death and resurrection of Christ as the crucial events of history that began the last days. Since the next great event is God's redemptive plan, it's the second coming of Jesus Christ, the night, no matter how long chronologically it may last, is nearly over. So that's one New Testament writer. I told you there were four different New Testament writers that really deal with this concept that his coming is near. The second one is the author of Hebrews, The author of Hebrews, of course, uh, is anonymous. We don't know who wrote the book, but the author of Hebrews says it this way, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. As you see the day approaching. The writer of Hebrews says that he and his readers are already living in the end times. I don't know if you've caught that as you read it, but let me read it to you again. He's indicating that we're already living in the end times in the end times. The signs of the end aren't off in the future. They're already happening right now. Look how he words this in the middle of the verse. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The day is already here. The day is approaching. We're already living in these days is what he was talking about. All the more means right now. You're already living this way but right now because we're living in the last days And you see the day approaching. Those last six words really grabbed my attention this week as I was studying. As you see the day approaching. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know about you, but I can't tell you when Jesus is coming back, but more than any time in my life, I feel like I can see the day approaching. How about you? I just just feel like I, I can see the day approaching. I told you there are four writers that emphasize this. The next one is Peter. Peter in 1 Peter 4, 7 writes these words. He says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. The end of all things is near. Peter was saying we should live with expectancy. We should live with the awareness because Christ really is coming again. We should live with the anticipation that the end of all things is near. Again, not saying that the end of all things is tomorrow or that it's next month or next year, but the end of all things is coming and it's the next big event on God's calendar. And then finally, James. This is probably my favorite one. James says plainly and unmistakably in James 5, he says, you too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Then he says, don't grumble. And, and he has some other words there. Don't grumble or you'll be judged The judge is standing at the door. James was giving us a picture here, a word picture. Yes, the Lord's coming is near, he said, but let me give you a word picture. It's as if someone's standing at the door. They're just on the other side of the door. That's how near this is. And the judge, he said, is standing on the other side of the door. You see, the next great event in redemptive history is Christ's second coming. The Lord's coming is indeed near That's why James and Peter and the author of Hebrews and Paul believed what the faithful church has lived for the last 2,000 years, that the Lord's coming is indeed near. Now, the New Testament doesn't say when that will occur, but it does say that we should live with the awareness that it will take place. Mark Hitchcock has written a book on Bible prophecy. And he says that there are 260 chapters of the New Testament, and in those 260 chapters of the New Testament, there are 318 references to the second coming of Christ. 318 references to the second coming found in the New Testament. The coming of Christ is indeed near. We are indeed living in the last days, which brings us to the subject of the rapture. That's what I want to talk about tonight. And what we're going to do is on Sunday night's, Tonight and next Sunday night, we'll be talking about the rapture. Tonight, I'm going to introduce the rapture to you. Next Sunday night, we're going to talk in greater detail. And then each Sunday night thereafter, we'll be talking about certain events of the last days. For example, the tribulation or the Antichrist, another topic, or the second coming, another topic. So we'll have different topics each Sunday night. Tonight, I want to focus on the rapture, specifically trying to address this question. What is the rapture? From a biblical perspective, what is the rapture? Again, I hope you have something to take notes, and let's jump into this right now. First of all, here's the definition I would give you. The rapture is the event in which all who have have put their faith in Jesus will be suddenly called up from the earth. They will be raptured, suddenly called up from the earth, and taken into heaven by him. Pretty basic definition that all who have put their faith in Jesus, both dead and alive will be suddenly called up from the earth to be taken into heaven with him. Greek scholar Kenneth Wiest has said that the word rapture, the Greek word rapture, is a translation, uh, or, or the word rapture is a translation of the Greek word harpazo. If you're taking notes, I'll, I'll give you how, tell you how to spell that. H-A-R-P-A-Z-O. Harpazo. And the great Greek scholar said, uh, Kenneth Wiest said, there's five different definitions for harpazo. Five different ways it's used in, in the New Testament. So let me give you these. Write these down. This, this is going to be a, a good word for some of you. First of all, he said harpazo means to carry off by force. That's one, one way to define that word, to carry off by force. I had never thought about this before, but, but he was making the point that Satan and his demonic cohorts will do everything they can to keep the saints from leaving the earth. That God's angelic forces will overpower them and carry us into the presence of the Lord. Again, David Jeremiah put it this way. He said, the devil is mighty, but the Lord is almighty. And so when the rapture occurs, when there's this taking of all the believers, both dead and alive, there's this, these believers, both dead and alive, will be called up to be with the Lord. And next week we'll talk about how all that happens. I'm giving you a general overview tonight, but when that occurs, it'll be basically to carry by force that it's going to happen because of the power of the Lord God himself. He said, Kenneth, we said the second way that word rapture is used in the Bible is to claim for oneself eagerly. To claim for oneself eagerly. There's coming a day when Jesus will come. This is what this means is beautiful. There's coming a day when Jesus will come to claim us as his very own. He will come to take us to be with him and claim us as his. And This definition views the rapture from the Lord's viewpoint. It's, it's showing us the rapture from the viewpoint of the Lord Jesus as he comes to claim his bride, as he comes to claim us as his very own. Kenneth, we said there's a third way this definition is used, or this word is used, and that is to snatch away speedily. This definition perhaps is the one we're most familiar with uh, it emphasizes the sudden nature of the rapture. When the Lord returns, we will be called up quickly. The Bible even says it will be in the twinkling of an eye. If you would just humor me for a moment, would you just bat your eye? It will be faster than that. It will be faster than that. If you really study that Greek word, the twinkling of an eye, it really has the idea that it, the closest thing we can relate it to it's the twinkling or the blinking of an eye. But most scholars believe it's going to be even quicker than that. It's, it's just going to be there and it's, and it's gone. You're gone. How many have watched uh, the videos or read the books Left Behind? All right. Uh, you know what I'm talking about then. And, and he does a, a wonderful job in those books and in, that, in those movies. And I haven't seen it or read all of that. But, but he does a wonderful job of portraying what it's like when all of a sudden... Every believer in the world is taken quickly, taken up to heaven, just immediately. I mean, it's just going to be a a catastrophic day for those who are left behind. It, It will be unlike anything this world has ever seen, anything this world could ever imagine, when suddenly the rapture occurs and everyone who is a believer is taken to heaven snatch away speedily. Kenneth Weiss says that word also is used a fourth way and that is the definition is to move to a new place. Paul uses this word to describe his visit to heaven in 2 Corinthians 12, 1-4. We won't talk about or take time to read that. But he says there was a time when, when I was called up to the third heaven. I was taken to a new place. Is what Paul was saying. He uses the word harpazo there. One day Jesus will call every believer to leave this world and to move to a new place. I'm ready to go. How about you? To move to a new place. And then the fifth way that that word is used, according to Kenneth West, is to rescue from the danger of destruction. This definition provides a strong support for the belief that the church will be kept from the danger and the destruction of the tribulation. That the church will be raptured before the time of great tribulation, that we, we will be, as it says, rescued from that danger. Be caught up, taken to be with the Lord before the time of the tribulation. Now, let me pause here to say, and we'll get into this perhaps a little bit more next week, that all Christians do not agree on every detail of the final events. That is especially true in regard to the events of the rapture. Uh, there are very scholarly, godly people who have differing views on the rapture some would say there is no rapture at all that there's just the second coming some would say that there is a rapture but when that rapture occurs is a point of debate and i want to emphasize one more time there are those who have who are godly scholars who differ on when the rapture will occur For example, you you probably already know this, but some say there will be a pre-tribulation rapture, that is, that will be taken up to be with the Lord before the tribulation. Some say that there will be a mid-tribulation rapture, that three and a half years into the tribulation, because it's a seven-year period, that three and a half years into the tribulation, then the church will be raptured or taken to heaven. And then some say it will be post-tribulation, that after the tribulation The the church will be raptured essentially at the same time when Jesus comes back, the second coming. And and so I just wanted to pause for a moment. I'm going to be teaching, and it is my belief that there is a pre-tribulation rapture. But as I've told you before when I've been teaching Revelation, I could be wrong. I hope I'm not. Because I sure like the pre-tribulation idea better than the mid-tribulation or the post-tribulation. But it's not up to me and it's not about my comfort nor is it about your comfort. The Lord God is sovereignly in charge of it all but as I've tried to understand it this this is my understanding of I believe there is a rapture and I believe that it will occur pre-tribulation. Now to help you better grasp this whole concept. Because I know sometimes when we talk about, you know, the second coming and there's signs and there's everybody's taken away and all, but you try to put it all together and it gets kind of jumbled and it, it's really kind of hard to keep clear. So I thought in these last few moments uh, that, that I would try to be as clear as I can about uh, the events, the sequence of events here that we're talking about. Then we'll get deeper into the rapture next week. I believe that there are two stages to the second coming of Christ. Two stages. Think of it in these terms. If you're taking notes, think of it in in these terms. First of all, the first stage, there's a movement from, from earth to heaven. We're taken up. There's a movement in the first stage from earth to heaven. We're taken up to be in the presence of the Lord. And then the second stage, there is a movement from heaven to earth when the Lord Jesus comes back. Movement from heaven to earth. So let me just deal with those, both of those movements for a couple of minutes here. First of all, in the first movement, Jesus will come suddenly in the air to snatch up his own. This is what we would call, of course, the rapture or the catching up of the church. And I believe, if, if you're taking notes, I believe this will occur prior to the tribulation. This, this first stage, a movement from the earth to heaven taking up prior to the tribulation or pre-tribulation rapture. Uh, open your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 3. Now, next Sunday, I promise you, we're going to do more of a Bible study. This is more of an introduction tonight. But open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. While you're finding the book of Revelation... I do not have the words to portray for you how awful the tribulation is going to be. You can imagine what the last seven months have been like for our world and the the COVID and the death and destruction and all the things that have been going on in our world. Multiply that a million times. And I'm not sure we're still even close to what the tribulation is going to be. The tribulation will be an extended time of horror, agony, death, and destruction that will last for seven years nothing the world has never seen anything like it and it's unlike anything we could ever imagine I believe that the rapture listen to me church I believe that the rapture is God's provision for his Saints to escape the tribulation Jesus will return immediately before this time of world judgment to remove those who completely have their faith in him. One of the reasons I believe that Revelation chapter 3 verse 10, this is Jesus speaking, he says, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is coming that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I will keep you from the hour of trial That's coming on the whole world. So this first stage that we're talking about, just to help you understand, there are two stages to the second coming. The first stage is the removal of God's people from the world prior to the tribulation. The second stage is this movement from heaven to earth. The second stage is Christ's second coming that will occur at the end of the tribulation. If you're taking notes, just just make a a little timeline, if you will. And on the left side of the timeline, you, you can put uh, church age. Just write in the word church age. That's the world, the time we're living in right now, the, the church age. And then if you're going across the timeline, church age and then rapture. And then the next event would be tribulation, seven years. And then the next event at the end of the tribulation would be second coming. Revelation 19, we're not going to take the time to read it, but Revelation 19 gives us a spectacular and detailed picture of this ultimate event that signals the end of the world. Uh, It's described by many people uh, beyond Revelation. Other authors, especially in the Old Testament, have written about this second phase, this movement from heaven to earth. Let me just read for you the words of the prophet Zechariah. Just listen to this. We don't have it on the screen. Listen to the words of Zechariah, the Old Testament prophet. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, watch this. Whenever we go to Israel, I always try to remind the people, when we stand on the Mount of Olives in Israel, I try to remind the people that one day what Zechariah said will will be fulfilled right here on this mountain that we're standing on. Listen to what he says. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, the feet of the Lord Jesus. And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west. Thus the Lord my God will come. So we're talking about this second movement here if you will from heaven to earth. In the first movement the church has been removed. Then there's seven years of tribulation and then the Lord Jesus comes back to the world. He comes back for judgment. So I just want to make sure that we understand that these two events are not the same. Rapture and the second coming are two very different things and they're separated by a seven year time of tribulation. Now let me close by comparing the two end time events that will occur and then, then we're going to look at the rapture in detail next week. So if you're taking notes, would you make just two columns in, in one column, the column on the left, would you put the word rapture at the top of that column? And then on the second column, would you put the word second coming? And I'm going to give you words of comparison to help you see that, that I believe these are two distinct events that will occur at the end in the last days. So, comparing the rapture and the second coming, here's some five different comparisons under the rapture. In the rapture, Christ comes in the air. That's what we're going to look at next week. 1 Thessalonians 4, that Christ comes in the air. He does not come down to the earth. His feet do not touch the ground in the rapture. He comes in the clouds, and He calls His church up to Him. In the rapture, Christ comes in the air. In the second coming, Christ comes to the earth. His feet land on the Mount of Olives. He splits the Mount of Olives in two. So in the second coming, He comes on the earth. Here's the second comparison in the rapture Christ comes for his saints the purpose of his coming is to take back his saints that's in the rapture in the second coming the bible says he comes with his saints we'll look at that next week that he brings his saints with him so in the in the rapture he comes for his saints in the second coming he comes with his saints Third comparison is this. In the rapture, Christ comes to reward his people. Comes to reward his people. In the second coming, Christ comes to judge the ungodly. The purpose of the second coming is to judge the ungodly. In the rapture, there are no signs... Prior to his coming, it's imminent, and that's that's a word we're going to look at next week. The word "imminent." It's a fascinating study. Just this idea that his return is imminent. What does that mean? That it's imminent. We're going to dig into that next week. But in the rapture, there are no signs. His coming is imminent. That's the rapture. In the second coming, the second coming is preceded by many signs. There are many signs that will occur. To signify his second coming. and Then the the fifth comparison is this. In the rapture, Christ will not be seen. He comes in the clouds. And it's, we're gone. He's not seen. That's the rapture. But in the second coming, Christ will be visible to the entire world. So I don't want to belabor the point but I'm just trying to make sure we understand two separate events that the rapture occurs in the last days and then there's seven years of tribulation and then the second coming occurs we'll talk more about that next week but thank you for coming tonight and be a part of this study and uh, I really appreciate the fact that you come out again on Sunday night haven't seen you in seven months glad you're back glad to be back Let, let me pray for you God there's a lot about the last days we don't understand. There's a lot of, about the last days that intrigue us. There is a lot about those last days that fascinate us. But I just pray that this week we'll live with the awareness that you really could come to call your church, call your bride at any time. There's absolutely nothing that you're waiting on. There's no event. There's no sign. There's... You literally can come at any time. Remind us of the words of James. The judge is standing at the door. Remind us this week. You are Lord and you are God. Though this world is sick. And though this world is troubled, and though this world is really in chaos in these last days. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. We pray that in His name. Amen.